Welcome to the Perimenopause Power Podcast. We are Lisa and Natalie, two certified holistic health coaches passionate about helping women embrace their physiology to elevate their highest potential for confidence, health and energy. Perimenopause will be unique to you and each episode gives you the power in knowing that you can define your own journey. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Perimenopause Power. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Nat. We have a wonderful guest joining us today. And uh, like all of our guests, we always walk away so inspired and motivated, and we hope that our listeners are also feeling exactly the same way. We have Danielle Dobson joining us. And let me tell you a little bit about Danielle. Danielle is a powerful speaker who uses her warmth, passion, and knowledge to connect with audience spark curiosity and make sense of complex and challenging problems both in the workplace and in the home. With 20 plus years across five countries, she grasped the essence of building inclusive workplaces, understanding that belonging is pivotal for success. Witnessing overwhelming stress in professional women, Danielle sought answers. Her profound research spanning history, neuroscience and interviews with 100 plus leaders led her to identify the gender code as a barrier to success. She encapsulated her insights in her book, Breaking the Gender Code, and is now a recognised figure in media with her mission to assist both genders in dismantling the gender code, enhancing their roles at work and home. Above all, Danielle's verba to inspire and rewrite personal success narrative stands out, making her an impactful coach and captivating speaker. Welcome, Danielle, to our podcast. Wow, thanks. Is that really me? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> wow. Thanks for that. That was uh, that was great. That was, that was amazing. I think I'm going to steal that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we love yep. being able to... Uh, you know, share just not even not even all your accolades and all your experience, but you know, just a little bit about who you are as as a person. Because I think when you're in the line of work that both of us do in in similar uh, ways in supporting women, um, it is it's that warmth and that's passion and and that drive that really shines out. So um, yeah, thrilled to have you and and um, chatting with you today. We'd love to hear in your own words a little bit about yourself and um, also where you've gotten to today and how. How you've ended up where you are today mm, well that uh introduction i think like sums everything up a, a lot so i guess to give it a, a bit more context i i grew up in the yarra valley so regional victoria and i say that because as i get older and older and i meet more people from amazing places i feel it was a pivotal part of you know who i am that experience of living in regional australia and i guess i've always been like a code breaker like someone who needs to make sense of things, like really curious, uh, have to find out the thing behind the thing, like, you know, what's the root cause of this? One of those kids who just never stopped saying, why? Why is that? Why is that? You know, that's just me. Um, and I guess when I was little, I, I, I've got two younger brothers, I'm the eldest and only girl, and we just did things together, like played AFL, cricket, outside all the time, just love being outside. So I was always into sports and active things. And I sort of decided when I was about 11, I saw every, all the other boys playing AFL and my friend and I, we would support every sort of part of the AFL games. Like my dad was the AFL secretary, the secretary of the juniors and all of our Sunday was AFL. We'd do the gate takings, we'd do the timekeeping, we'd do the canteen, uh, we'd sell the raffle tickets. And then I said to my friend one time, I said, why aren't we out there? You know, mm. why are we doing 
all this support work. We can we can play, you know, we have know how to play. So I was fortunate. My dad was all was was all over and I asked him, I said, What you know, why can't I play as well? I said, Well, I looked at the rules and you can. So I played under 11s for the Seville Blues with my younger brother, he's 16 months younger, but he was fine with me being in the team. And I was the ruck. We usually our girls grow more quickly than boys. <laughs> I was the tallest in the team, so I was the ruck. So and I'll never forget our first game. It was against South Belgrave and they're Collingwood colours. And when you're a Melbourneian and you go for a Melbourneian team like me, the Demons. Collingwood um, supporter here. Well, there we go. You love them or hate them. Um, <laughs> and... So I, I, <laughs> and I saw this guy, we're lining up before the centre bounce and he says to his uh, rover, he's like, oh, look at this girl, like, this is going to be easy, you know, and I don't know what happened but it triggered something inside me. I'm like, I don't care what I need to do, That he's not getting the ball, I'm getting the ball for this bounce and, yes, I got it. Um, awesome. So, and I, and I think that's kind of the message with all of these challenges where I think People sort of look at me as if I don't belong in an arena or you're not, you know, you're not meant to be here. I actually use that as fuel to prove why I do belong and I earn my strength. So I think that sort of has continued throughout my whole life. Um, and mm. that, and I, I, you know, do credit that and, and also the support of my mum as well. So she, at primary school, we had dresses at St Mary's in Mount Evelyn and I said to my mum one day, I said, it is really hard to kick the footy at lunchtime uh, in this dress and it gets really cold in winter. Can we, can, why can't I wear pants? And so her and I worked together, mostly her, to get, you know, pants introduced. This is in the 80s. All this is happening in the 80s. You know, it's all things commonplace now, but this is in the 80s. So we were kind of code breakers back then. I love that. Oh, and, me too. And just such sets the foundation. I have to say it, it takes me back to conversations I had with my daughter. I was I, I do um, some marathon running and I, I shared with her the story of the first woman, Catherine Switzer, who ran Boston Marathon and she was basically chased off the course by men to say, no, you cannot run. And so I've, I've shared that story with her. And so whenever there's a story about women and girls not being able to do something in the past, she's like, it's like that woman who ran the first marathon mum, mm. isn't it? I'm like yes, yeah, so, I love that. So I love that I've set that little scene for her, that little seed, um, and uh, who knows where she might end up in the future. So, and, and what an epiphany at eleven, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. I just love that you recognised it back then, and you were able to then follow through. Pants, playing on the footy team, things <laughs> that we should all be able to do quite naturally, um, regardless of whether we're men or women. Um, you know, it it shouldn't matter, should it? No, and then, and then also working in the field of finance. So that was my, um, that's how I was professionally raised. And I worked for my foundation was like business services. So that was very majority male, male led. Um, and then also the clients, the people you're dealing with, very much majority male, male led. And then I went into engineering services uh, mm. in finance. So, um, you know, mining, petrochemicals, um, power. Uh, I worked on a steel mill in Italy, um, you know, covered in flag dust. Uh, so very uh, masculine environments. But I think it's because of that attitude, I just I felt that I could earn my stripes and belong in that arena, mm -hmm. didn't see it as an issue. Yeah, I love that. 
So I've got a little bit of a long question here. So just, mm -hmm. just hang in with me, Danielle. So you and I mm -hmm. met, um, we, we know each other, but we bumped into each other at a, at a book launch um, mm -hmm. in Sydney last week. And it's it's actually there that I learned that you've written this book, Breaking the Gender Code. Now, I actually picked up my copy from the library just yesterday. Um, and because I haven't read it through yet, I did a little bit of investigation into the book. And I loved what female.com.au noted. And there were three, four, four key points that I'm going, oh, yes, yes. So one of them was that it explores the pressures facing women informed by the Wonders of Women in Leadership Research Project, which is the project that you've done. Mm -hmm. um, it looks at myths around perfectionism and having it all as acting at barriers to success. And you know what? That's another podcast another day, but don't get me started on the we can have it all scenario. Mm -hmm. And then... It talks about women who are led parent, parents and also leaders at work bringing invaluable skills to the table and are highly effective in leadership positions. And then it also talks about we all have what we need within us already, and Nat and I talk about that so much. And it's around resetting your code, creating a life which fits with our core values, resources and priorities. So that obviously resonated so much with me, with us. So can you tell us, I think, you, you know, You've already alluded to it, really. You know, how do you came to write this book, your research, and perhaps how perfectionism and having it all are acting as barriers to success for women in general? And obviously, feel free to speak to some of the other key points I mentioned um, where and you know where you like to. Mm, thank you. And yes, I think we could do a podcast on each of those <laughs> yeah. because they're very worthy of discussion. Uh, so, in terms of you know how how I got to that point, it was. Um, like I think like you Lisa um, I part of what I did I was a certified personal trainer so I worked with mostly women and um, I just was uh, you know I, I just couldn't I was floored with how these amazing strategic uh, you know smart hard-working women that I was working with um, in that in supporting them in their health and well-being just was struggling to prioritize their well-being I, I just I didn't understand it and then I, uh, so I was curious about it. I would ask questions and research it. And then I, was, I moved to Beijing for a bit and I was um, training also similar women. They're working in embassies, you know, accounting firms, uh, like partners in accounting firms, big petrochemical companies still struggled with the same thing. So the thing is back home, uh, money, time and support was a factor. But in Beijing, everyone had IE, uh, you know, like um, helpers. They had the money. Um, maybe not as much time, but those other things freed up the time. They were still struggling. So mm. that's what, and I, I wanted to know more, so that's when I became a wellness coach um, to understand the, the psychology of it and then launched into this research project, Wonders of Women Leadership. And I was into, I wanted to interview people and I, was, I spoke to them about um, not necessarily why they couldn't, you know, what the challenges were, but what was working well. So what was working well about being a leader at work and some stay-at-home parents and men and people who didn't have children, so it was a whole range, um, what was working well at work and in your caring role? You know, what are the strengths that you bring and build in both? And that's when I discovered all these incredible critical skills around leadership that are actually building them in their role as a parent or a carer. And that's when I started to really shine the spotlight on that. So that's kind of like the great stuff about it. So, and in terms of the challenges, absolutely. So the gender code, that's this 
this training program um, and it involves a set of rules and expectations and we're either punished or rewarded based on how well we conform. It's like a societal algorithm and I talk mm. about it in terms of pink and blue boxes. Uh, so all of those expectations, the training program, the rules, um, punishment, rewards from birth, sometimes like pre-birth, start feeding this algorithm for men and women and it builds to these places around something like perfectionism. So if we take a little girl, okay, I've got all boys, but I've been around a lot of young kids. If we uh, come across a little girl that we know or, or, or like it and we say, you know, what's the first thing we might want to say to her? Look at your pretty hair. I love your dress. Things like that. I, do, I observe this, right? right? I noticed with my boys, people weren't saying that. They're like, oh, I love your, you know, my youngest always had a costume. Love your costume or what are you doing or, you know, got your car or whatever. And so that kind of greeting of young girls um, around their appearance and then the associated whoa and love and, you know, positivity around that, that starts reinforcing their worth from that very early stage. Mm. So what you want, you keep wanting that that sense of worth and dopamine hits and feeling good. So you, you that's where you invest your energy and attention. Uh, you know whether that's conscious or subconscious. It's that's just a very very small example of how that builds about those higher you know standards in terms of looks, but then also in terms of doing emotional work and caring work. Uh, I came across a, a study by Westpac that showed that boys are, you know, typically paid more pocket money and they're paid more for, you know, typical outside work than than inside work. Mm. You know, it's all of these sort of things where we're valuing uh, men's and women's work differently. Uh, so those sort of things play into the perfectionism and then the having it all, well, there's, Okay, so this is what is actually happening right now. We've got um, men, okay, so people in the in the blue boxes, so they're expected to be hunters, uh, providers, leaders. People in the pink box, they're expected to be sort of like gatherers and nurturers and carers and supporters of people in the blue box. But the training program and the expectations and rules, everything is not set up for people in the blue box to support people in the pink box because people in the pink box are also now leading, hunting and providing. So that is where there is now a massive support gap mm. and the people in the pink boxes are working a triple shift. So they're doing paid work, domestic work and emotion work and that's where it's costing. That's where we see in the work that we do the chronic illness, the fatigue, the exhaustion, the burnout. And that's what has really, really drives me to do this work, to try and, you know, address this, you know, gen gender, um, you know, the triple shift, the support gap and, and help women in particular and the people around them who support them to understand the importance of investing in well-being. But it's also letting go of a lot of other things. It's not just more work for women. It's investing in what's going, to, what is happening around it, the support networks, the understanding, the education of everyone around them. 
Mm, yeah. There's a real misalignment, isn't there, to how we are evolving, say, as individuals mm. and the opportunities and the things that we're striving for and creating and compared to the structures and the environments around us, it's there's a, a huge misalignment. And part of that is obviously uh, feeding the gender biases too, which, you know, you talk about um, in your book. And we'd love to know what sort of gender biases are we seeing in the workplace when it comes to perimenopause and menopause? And again, I'm sure we could probably have a whole uh, podcast episode and we've spoken about it too. But what are you seeing around this space? Mm, so I'm seeing a lot around this and I guess if if we work backwards with what some numbers like let's quantify it um, before we even sort of talk about you know how it how it's um executing so the workplace gender equality agency collects uh data from organizations it's they have to do it organizations of 100 employees or more and they have to report on about six different gender metrics so they collect this data every year and last, well, 2021, they decided to collect, uh, they asked to collect data based on age. So they wanted to look at the gender pay gap across age groups. And it was a voluntary um, exercise. People didn't have to do it, but 70% of organisations did uh, contribute. So that, that equates to around 3 million Australian workers. And what they found is that the gender pay gap 24 years and younger is about 2.5%. But then it builds like across builds in you know 30s between 45 and 54. So that age group, it is about uh 20%. Uh, sorry, 30%. The next age group, they're uh 55 to 65. It's the highest, almost 32%. And then it decreases 65 and over. So when I saw that, I saw I thought that is the crucial um, perimenopause and menopause stage of women's lives. So it, it the, the fact that it went back down, the gap went down after 65, you know, for 65, that really got my attention. So I started looking into this more and that it is an age group. So across a range of different resource, resources and research where women are opting out of the workforce right when they have the, the cultural knowledge, the skills, the, the relationship. And it's the typically can be that time we can really step into those leadership roles. The challenge is that the way the gender pay gap is um, calculated is average full-time weekly earnings of men versus women. And what happens is in that age group, women are either going part-time or opting out. So the the um, gender pay gap increases. So, I mean, just basic, on, you know, numbers and data tells us what's happening. And, you know, some people might say that's that's drawing a long bow, where's the evidence? Well, I think the more and more that we talk about this and if all the work that you you are both doing around, um, you know, dialing down the taboo um, kind of uh, feelings about this, uh, then I think the more we're going to get better research and, you know, experiences and stories about what is actually happening. I mean, I'm sure you, you both... Um, have stories all the time and people sharing your, their experiences, you know, being, say, in the corporate world at the front of, um, 
you know, the conference room about to give a presentation covered in sweat, like just can't move. Or, you know, stories of where people who have relied on their brain the whole time. So so here's the thing with women too. So women who are at that age group now, perimenopause and menopause, assuming they're not early menopause and or medically induced, so just say we're saying that 50 to 64. And if we look at typically the women who are in the workplace and especially in leadership positions would have had to have broken a lot of barriers, you know, mm. along the way to get there. They didn't have the same levels of supports that people do now. So they were trailblazers, many of them. And for many of them, so they had to work harder to even feel like they were at the starting box to start with. Often they relied on their work ethic and their brain. So when those two, when you your body is um, starting to shut down so you, you and you don't have as much energy to work as hard and then you can't access all the files you need to in the moment with your brain, then your confidence is dipping. You know, it, and you, you all know and experience that and that's what I'm hearing more and more with the more um, honest conversations around menopause and perimenopause. So yeah, it's a double yeah. whammy. And I, I can't help thinking that like, I speak to people in, like, um, say, doctors and, and, you know, professionals and um, surgeons and people like that in health, in, you know, corporate, um, sort of a range of um, industries. And I think women who have always relied on their intelligence to get to where they are and ha- have been driven by that and that's been how they've managed to get where they are, it is particularly devastating. Yeah, and we hear that. And you know what? I'd put my hand up and say it's it's even affected me at one point. Mm-hmm. And um and I'm lucky because I I'm quite aware of it, but there was a little bit of confusion. It's like, hang on, I used to be able to do this no problem. And then it's just like it, it's like someone drops a day in and it's like all of a sudden, you know, I could do multiple things at once. Now I, you know, I get things done, but I have to just do them one at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's a real awakener. But there's, you know, the power is in knowing it and changing how you might actually go about it and getting that help or, um, you know, changing your lifestyle, whatever that looks like and being able to cope with it. That's just one way, right? But it's a real, it's a real, um, it's scary, it's, mm. it's absolutely scary. You've got these women that are totally co- uh, competent um, and, as you say, doing uh, amazing work and then one day they can't just get that word or that sentence or respond to something. It's like, what the hell is happening here? Mm. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, Nat and I have just been nodding our heads with everything you're saying. It's really powerful information that you're sharing. And, you know, with organisations, I think coming more on board with how to um support women in perimenopause and menopause um how what are you seeing you know where 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 are you helping them uh you know provide value and support to women uh, are you seeing it happen out there in organizations that you're working with i'm i'm only seeing very um small sparks at the moment there is a growing momentum and i think organizations who already have uh, other wellbeing um, programs and practices in place. So they've got an overall wellbeing strategy. I think they're, you know, potentially going to be more successful at um, supporting women th- through perimenopause and menopause because they've got things in place, they've got the money to invest and their workforce is, 
a little bit more kind of warmed up. Um, I see one, and I acknowledge that women um, do have early on earlier onset um, perimenopause and menopause are medically induced, but typically that, you know, older age bracket. Um, I think with organisations, if they've started the conversation around the ageing workforce, so then it's kind of like it's not isolating any group, so say mm. women, um, if we started talking about uh, supporting the ageing workforce and the benefits, you know, the cultural knowledge, the uh, the wisdom, the understanding, uh, the connections, if, if that process has been started, so we're looking at you know, the, the value of older people, I think the, the the menopausal support and perimenopausal support is, is going to have a higher success rate across the organisation mm. in terms of take-up and absorption because the really important um, part of this, like there's three key parts, uh, there's the individual which you um, touched on now and we've, we've spoken about, so have that power of the awareness, you know, that's so, so important. And if there's anything that I've learned from coaching uh, women in organisations uh, to be their best, take the leadership role, you know, go hard, all the rest of it, you can invest so much in an individual, but if you put them back in a dirty fish tank, then they're not going to be able to swim very well yeah, yeah. and they'll hardly survive. So it's the individual, uh, but it's really the culture. So it's changing the culture of an organisation um, where it is okay to discuss these things, you know, like mental health, um, you know, massive gains on that, well-being. No one used to ever talk about well-being no. when I started this whole thing. No. It's like, oh, that's so... You know, it's all leadership, productivity, all these sort of things, not realising that well-being is a cornerstone. So there's hope. Um, but, you know, and the other thing is that, you know, we might say, oh, menopause only affects people with ovaries or half the population, but it actually, if you know, affects everyone they work with, everyone they're in a relationship with and the whole entire, you know, organisation right. and team. So, so it's culture. So it's uh, breaking down those barriers and taboos. So education around that, storytelling, those sort of things. And then individual leaders so that they can have these discussions because you know, sometimes it's just a matter of, um, I've heard this working really well, um, it's just a matter of having that really open um, dialogue with your leader and with your team. Okay, I'm not feeling it today, can't access uh, my brain and um just don't put me with a trainee today. You know, like mm. tomorrow might be okay, but today just let's. Mm. So it's not necessarily going on leave or things like that. It's um, you know, looking at the environment, the stresses, the pressures, the workloads, and how they might be uh, distributed differently for a short period of time. So I think it's yeah, culture, leadership, individual. Mm. Yeah, what a great answer. And you know what we we do empathize, you know, do resonate with all of that, and that's a lot of what we do through our. Mm -hmm. workshops and programs and and it is just you know people often we sort of say well, how do you start you just got to start you know we say you just got to start the conversation but then we look at what what you know what level that comes in what level they're comfortable for that to come in at and every we acknowledge that every corporation is very different from that point of view as well so yeah given your work Danielle and uh, and obviously we know that you're um, doing some of this work with um, sage women that mm -hmm. that's uh, up and coming which uh, we're excited to be uh, in tandem working with you as well what are some of the tangible benefits that businesses can really gain by bringing this awareness 
um, you know, being inclusive about um, women's journeys and just having that understanding and support and, and particularly given your work and, and really in your own words, um, you know, we've obviously shared through our podcast episodes, our listeners will um, probably be very versed in what we share, but, you know, it's always great to hear from other people who are doing um, similar work or different work in the workplace. Mm, there are so many benefits, so many benefits. And I guess, you know, often, you know, I guess an easy way to look at it is what do you what do you lose when someone um, leaves? Mm. So you lose, you know, that that cultural knowledge, the connection. Often team members will follow the person, or they'll leave and go somewhere else because people don't leave workplaces; they leave leaders, basically. Uh, so that's kind of what people uh, lose, and uh, organisations and you know people within them. And I love what you said about inclusivity because when when there's effort and attention directed at any kind of practices that are inclusive, say, for instance, closed captioning on videos, you know, for um, uh, people uh, who can't hear, uh, deaf people, it benefits everyone. Things like ramps, uh, it benefits, you know, so many more people in a population. So I think understanding that Anything that's inclusive that is benefiting, you, you know, when people can see the greater good benefit for for the group, um, is gonna is gonna be much, um, I guess, more easily uh, digestible and implemented kind of kind of thing. Um, and and I'm having a moment too. So what was the other part? It was inclusive. Oh, and and the and the gain. So I think as well, there's there's a piece here that I think if we could nut this out. Um, it would be really amazing. How do we quantify wisdom? How do we quantify the caring effect in any kind of situation? But say if we're talking about organisations here, because I was talking to a friend who um, is in the medical profession and she's um, a big advocate for um, perimenopause and menopause support. She's speaking to her husband who's also in the medical profession and he was saying I don't know what you know what is, why is this even needed you know why do you need to be doing this you know and he's an amazing person you know I love him too but he, he just couldn't understand and he said okay let's take she said how about we look at all, all those nurses you know that that you work with um and they're perimenopausal or menopausal now what happens if they can't cope if we can't support them and they can't cope and they leave and they leave what would happen is that the place would fall apart and she said exactly so that's that's exactly what is happening so if we could sort of quantify what that means mm. um i think it would be an easy sell to support so, so i think trying to get to the to the bottom of that but this is this is very much the case for all caring work throughout our, our entire economy and and um, our society. We do not value that caring work, and typically in organisations, women do more of the caring work. They're, they're the ones on the employee resource source groups. They're the ones who talk, you know, um, prepare um, presentations and on panel discussions for women in business and leadership. Um, uh, groups. They're the ones who do the keynotes. So, you know, it's not, it's way beyond just getting people's birthday cakes. That's kind of the go-to, you know, you know, trope people say, but it's way more than that. It's supporting new people. It's taking the extra time to have a conversation with your direct report who's, who's struggling. Women typically do more of that. It's that emotion work. So that is what is lost. 
So it's a complete, it's a lost opportunity when organisations don't invest in support for perimenopausal and menopausal women. You bring up some really good points and, you know, it's points that we we know that exist, we've often talked about, but I love the simplicity of what you've just introduced and, um, you know, and having a, a good look at that. And, and it's almost around bringing it back to that individual, like, you know, your friend's husband who's the doctor, well, what's in it for me? Oh, my God, if there weren't nurses around, I probably couldn't do my job as well. Like, you know, it's really important. Um, and, you know, our business is all around making healthy simple again. But it's making life simple again and how that affects you and, and the other people that you're working with as well. Mm. You've shared some great stuff here, um, Danielle, and I've got one more question for you. And we ask this of all of our um, uh, people that come on to the podcast. So the podcast is all about power and finding, nurturing and using um, your personal power as you transition through life phases in perimenopause and beyond. And we'd love to know from you, uh, from your experience, how you've come into your own power. Mm, that's such a brilliant question. And I think I'd have to say that it's actually been an iterative process So where these things happen. So age 11. Um, mm. playing AFL, stepping into a, a power there, which then became a baseline for the next next thing and the next thing. So things like, um, you know, becoming a parent for the first time, uh, going through divorce, uh, living overseas. Uh, I, th I think maybe the biggest one has been divorce because I think what happens is if you're in a relationship where the person who who you're with, who is like your life partner, only wants to see you flourish on their terms, not your own terms, that can create a lot of uh, negative en energy and impact your confidence and really drain your power. Mm. And when they're the main person um, who is taking centre stage and you're the support person, then you fall into that pattern. So I think that that process of going through a divorce and stepping into my own power, own two feet, being the lead parent, family CEO, I think that was probably the key moment for me hmm. very very powerful and I love that you went through some key points across the evolution of your life because we often talk about perimenopause being a you know a personal development time and of course women who are thick in in the middle of it probably thinking you're crazy even saying that but we really do learn from all of our life experiences and just like we've been through past experiences that have challenged us or have been a struggle together with the good ones too we do come out the other side and we do grow and we do evolve and, and we do really whether we see it or not as this word power we really do come into our power so I love that you've taken us on that that journey and some really key pivotal points and um you're you know you're you're a product of um you know all of your wonderful experience that you've had across your life and um you know I think we're we're very lucky and and much richer to have the work that you do and and the book that you've written as well and um you know we thank you for being on our podcast where can our listeners connect with you Danielle oh great question so I'm on LinkedIn all the time so uh, Danielle, you just look me up, Danielle Dobson, in there. I also have a website, Code Conversations, and a speaking page in that too. So but LinkedIn is uh, the first stop, I think. Yeah, it's a great platform, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, love it. And love just it. great conversation. You can have different conversations and challenge the status quo and, it's yeah, it's great. So I uh, highly recommend that people connect with you. But thank you again, as always. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. 
Thanks again for sharing your time with us, learning how you can be your best energetic self no matter what life stage you are going through. Be sure to contact us if any of this content resonates with you. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. See you next time.